What a pity, all the gold gone. They'd not said anything like that while I was being shorn. But what I remember best is the coolness of my head and the hot sun on the back of my neck when we were building mud houses, Redival and I, all that summer afternoon. Our nurse, Butter, was a big-boned, fair-haired, hard-handed woman whom my father had bought from traders who got her further north. When we plagued her, she would say, "'Only wait till your father brings home a new queen to be your stepmother. "'It'll be changed times for you then. "'You'll have hard cheese instead of honey cakes then, "'and skim milk instead of red wine. Wait and see.' "'As things fell out, we got something else before we got a stepmother. "'There was a bit of frost that day. "'Redival and I were booted. "'We mostly went barefoot or sandaled.' and trying to slide in the yard, which is at the back of the oldest part of the palace, where the walls are wooden. There was ice enough, all the way from the byer door to the big dunghill, what with frozen spills of milk and puddles and the stale of the beasts, but too rough for sliding. And out comes Butter, with the cold reddening her nose, calling out, "'Quick, quick! Ah, you filthies! Come and be clean, then, unto the king! You'll see who's waiting for you there! My word, this'll be a change for you!' "'Is it the stepmother?' said Redival. "'Oh, worse than that, worse than that. You'll see,' said Butter, polishing Redival's face with the end of her apron. "'Lots of whippings for the pair of you, lots of ear-pullings, lots of hard work.' Then we were led off and over to the new parts of the palace, where it is built of painted brick, and there were guards in their armour and skins and heads of animals hung up on the walls. In the pillar room our father was standing by the hearth, and opposite him there were three men in travelling dress whom we knew well enough, traders who came to Gloam three times a year. They were just packing up their scales, so we knew they'd been paid for something, and one was putting up a fetter, so we knew they must have sold our father a slave. There was a short, thick-set man standing before them, and we knew this must be the man they'd sold— for you could still see the sore places on his legs where the irons had been. But he did not look like any other slave we'd ever known. He was very bright-eyed, and whatever of his hair and beard was not grey was reddish. "'Now, Greekling,' said my father to this man, "'I trust to beget a prince one of these days, and I have a mind to see him brought up in all the wisdom of your people. Meanwhile, practice on them,' he pointed at us children." If a man can teach a girl, he can teach anything. Then, just before he sent us away, he said, Especially the elder, see if you can make her wise. It's about all she'll ever be good for. I didn't understand that, but I knew it was like things I'd heard people say of me ever since I could remember. I loved the fox, as my father called him, better than anyone I had yet known. You would have thought that a man who had been free in the Greek lands, and then been taken in war and sold far away among the barbarians, would be downcast. And so he was sometimes, possibly more often than I and my childishness guessed. But I never heard him complain, and I never heard him boast, as all the other foreign slaves did, about the great man he had been in his own country. He had all sorts of sayings to cheer himself up with— no man can be in exile if he remembers that all the world is one city, and everything is as good or bad as our opinion makes it. But I think what really kept him cheerful was his inquisitiveness. I never knew such a man for questions. 
He wanted to know everything about our country and language and ancestors and gods and even our plants and flowers. That was how I came to tell him all about Ungit, about the girls who were kept in her house and the presents that brides have to make to her and how we sometimes, in a bad year, have to cut someone's throat and pour the blood over her. He shuddered when I said that and muttered something under his breath. But a moment later he said, Yes, she is undoubtedly Aphrodite, though more like the Babylonian than the Greek. But come, I'll tell you a tale of our Aphrodite. Then he deepened and lilted his voice, and told how their Aphrodite once fell in love with the prince Anchises, while he kept his father's sheep on the slopes of a mountain called Ida. And as she came down the grassy slopes towards his shepherd's hut, lions and lynxes and bears and all sorts of beasts came about her fawning like dogs, and all went from her again in pairs to the delights of love.